Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Dr. Wingrove Taylor spent his entire life in the service of the King. This sermon was preached at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio in 1988, and it's titled, The Kind of Revival That We Need. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. And on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. Good evening, Christian friends. I come to you in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only name whereby we may be saved, the only one in whom there is salvation, the only one in whom there is satisfaction, the only one who cleanses the heart and delivers us from the awfulness of self. We glory in that name tonight. The invitation came for me to participate in the Wesleyan Education Association of America and having agreed to come to that meeting, I found myself into another situation that's tonight. I said yes to the first, the second one was thrust, against, uh, uh, thrust upon me. Last night I achieved greatness. Tonight, if greatness is not thrust upon me, there will be no greatness. God, in his mercy, did warm my heart to share last evening. And I am depending wholly upon him to speak to us this evening. Actually, the word that I am sharing to you, with you this evening is only germinal, it's only in seed, it's only a germ, it's, it, it has no growth yet. We are working on the growth, I am merely having the courage to drop the seed tonight. It will not be a message of content, really, but I trust that it will be a message of pertinent concept. Sometimes we get the feeling that we must 
always preach full-blown messages. I think that what is desperately important is that somehow God gets to speak to our hearts. And I just pray tonight that God will do this. In the program, there is actually a subject for this evening, the revival that we need. I wonder if we understand the seriousness of that subject. I wonder if we understand the depth of it, the dynamics of it. I wonder if we understand even something of the danger of it. Oh, may God hold up some vision before us tonight that somehow may change the rest of our days. It seems to me that the revival we need is a very crucial one. In fact, let me back up and say very honestly that this isn't your message, I'm just sharing it with you in germ. About two weeks ago, maybe, somebody called me from all the way from the Bahamas and asked if I would give one of the messages at an evangelism congress that we are having in the Caribbean towards the end of August. About four years ago when we had a congress, some 600 people from across the Caribbean, perhaps the largest gathering of Caribbean evangelical people to meet in any one place, met at the university in Kingston, Jamaica, for one week of a really tremendous stir from God. And this is to be repeated in August, and they asked me if I would speak on the prayer that is essential in evangelism. I really wanted to say no, but I couldn't. And that was about 11 o'clock that evening, and somewhere around 2 or 3 in the morning, God got me awake and began to dictate some thoughts to me, the kind of dictation that you had to jump out of bed and get to writing because at, at my age, you do forget. You don't know anything about that, and that's perfectly all right. So I got out of bed and wrote furiously what God had shared with me. It needs to be researched. It needs to be developed. But rather than bring you a message which has been developed, but which may be just treading old water, may it please God to use what to me has some freshness tonight and will stir all of our hearts. So I want to share with you then, as God may help me and as I can, on the thought 
the prayer that will bring the revival that we need. And you know, friends, that is it. It is prayer that will bring it. With all due respect to the preachers and the singers, and what have we, in the final analysis, it will be prayer that will bring revival. Now, there are three great prayers in the Bible, and it is around these three great prayers. There are more than three, as you, as you would know, but there are three particular prayers that touch my heart and speak to my soul. And I want to point you to them this evening. The first of them is found in a very familiar passage, we all know it, Second Chronicles, chapter 7. Second Chronicles, chapter 7. Let's begin at verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. May God help us to pray as we try to shear. Let me suggest to you, first of all, that the prayer that will bring the revival that we need is a prayer to precipitate what I am calling social victory. The prayer that will be necessary to precipitate social victory. I don't get turned off by the word social. Really, it isn't the word I have. What I, what, I, what I really mean to say is societal victory. Victory in society. And by that I don't necessarily mean the world out there at large, but I mean something more than merely personal victory. We can thank God for personal victory tonight, can't we? Surely, put the hands up, put the hands up, put the hands up. Yes, thank God, thank God for personal victory. But it appears to me, my dear friends, that the revival that we need must go deeper 
than simply personal victory. Now, from this passage of scripture, you notice right at the outset that the prayer necessary to precipitate societal victory is humbling prayer, is humbling prayer. If my people, and I know the context of this, has to do with Israel, has to do with a particular situation, but I feel we do no wrong to the scripture when we try to suggest tonight that you and I, God's people, hold the secret to the well-being of our world. With all due respect to the politicians, with all due respect to the military might of our nations, combined, if you will, It is God's people, you and I, who have the well-being of this world within our power. You believe that? Ye are the salt of the earth, says Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. It is through our lives that the rot and the rottenness and the decay can be challenged and held back. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves, and any time you're going to approach God, my friends, it is going to be an approach from a position of humility. There can be no approach to God from a position of high-handedness and superiority, and I am better than everybody else. Whenever we approach God, we must climb down from our various high Horses. We find him in the dust. And God begins right at the right place. He begins with humility. And God knows that if there is one thing that we need so sorely in our world, it is humility. You'd be surprised how proud we are in the West Indies, eh? You'd be surprised how proud we are. The other day I was in a meeting and we were discussing a certain situation. And when a certain fact was revealed, one of the participants says, 
I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. And you could see embarrassment all over his face. And I said to him, wait, brother, wait, brother. You cannot edify any of us if you are embarrassed. Long ago, God has been teaching me to rule that word out of my vocabulary. It is a form of pride. Everybody all right? What are you embarrassed about? Tell me now. Tell, tell me honestly. What are you embarrassed about? You say, well, well preacher, I, I, I'm embarrassed because, you know, I, I made a big out. So you only make begins? I, I thought we were all finite human beings. I didn't know we had any infinite human beings in here. But apparently you are an infinite human being. You know the two words don't go together. But apparently you are an infinite human being. Because whenever you make a mistake, whenever you fail, you're embarrassed. Oh yes, we should be sorry. But friend, you and I are not perfect. And we need to learn to accept our errors, our mistakes, you call them whatever you want to, I am what I am. Here I am. You say, preacher, I, I, I didn't know that. Well, we're coming along. The prayer for the revival we need, and the revival we need is a revival that will precipitate societal victory. And it is humbling prayer. Some of us are so big that we can't be little. Some of us are so great that we can't be small. Some of us are so big we can't say I'm sorry. We can't say I'm wrong. I hope the men feel particularly comfortable at this point. Because <laughs> you know, gentlemen, we are very big. And to tell that little sweet little lady that God has given us, Honey, I am wrong. I tell you, it just about takes our lives. Do you know why we don't have more revival? Because some of us are so everlastingly big that we couldn't bow at an altar of prayer. <laughs> you know, we couldn't admit to our weaknesses and our failures. Can't do that. 
Oh, the pride in our world. And one of the worst of them, or I wouldn't say one of the worst of them, but one of them is pride of face. Pride of face. And even the ugly people have to save face. Pride of face. I've got to save face. Long ago I realized what that pride of face could cost me because at one time it stopped the bells of joy ringing in my soul because I was embarrassed and trying to save face. I told a half a truth. What is a half a truth? A whole lie, eh? You know that, don't you? Come, come. I told her half a truth and the bells stopped ringing in my heart for the first time since I was converted. No, there was one other time when I ran into some, some difficulty and a dear Christian lady helped me to see what the problem was. But oh, after that there was the joy, the glory, the sunshine and now the sun has set, the cloud has come, the bells have stopped ringing. I didn't commit adultery, no. I didn't go out and get drunk, no. I tried to save my face. And God was grieved. It is humbling prayer. In fact, do you know that when we are too big to be little, the real truth is that we are too little to be big? Do you realize that when we are too great to be small, that the real truth is that we are too small to be great? It is a big man who can humble himself. It is a tall man who can bow. But when you are little already and you've got to hold on to the little bit of littleness that you have, then you are little. And miserably so. We could begin to have revival if somehow God can get us all on our faces before him. It is humbling prayer. But let me suggest to you that this prayer that will bring revival, the prayer that will precipitate societal victory, And the reason why I say it's societal victory, and you know, don't mind my going back and forth tonight, don't mind my missing a little bit of logic. Put it all together and, you know, just get it all straightened out for me. Put the commas where they should go and the full stops where they should go. And, you know, you just put all the paragraphs where they should really go. But do you know, you know why it is societal victory? As we read the Word of God, and I'm backing up here a little bit. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain. And God knows we're living in a day of some drought. Thank God for the few mercy drops, yes. But all oh, the blazing sun, the little bit of mercy drops that we have don't seem to be enough for the blazing heat of today. It's hot, friends. 
And if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, have you ever tried to figure out how much devouring is going on in our land? Have you tried to figure out how much pestilence is ruining in our world tonight? The violence alone almost tears us to pieces. Have you gotten accustomed to hijackers holding hostages at bay and putting them all through all kind of horrors? Have you gotten accustomed to the plane that's being hijacked right tonight as we sit in this hall rejoicing and praising the Lord and people are in anguish? Have you gotten accustomed to all of that? Our world is in trouble, friends. Have you gotten accustomed to all of the drug culture that is tearing up our world and filling up our lunatic asylums and rocking our countries and our government from top to bottom, from the topmost rung? The people who should be law enforcement officers all involved. And you know all about the diseases that harrow our world tonight. And this new ravage AIDS is tearing through our land. Our world is a pretty sick world. We need a revival. I say, friends, we need a revival. But it will begin with humbling prayer. Oh, God, speak to all of our hearts tonight. It will not only be humbling prayer, but it will have to be heeding prayer. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, you see, we heed so many things and we look at so many things and we concentrate on so many things and so many people in the day in which we live. What we need is an Isaiah vision again. We need to see the Lord high and lifted up. We need to see him in all of his glory. We need to stop and listen. We need to stop and look. We need to stop and concentrate. We are so everlastingly busy. We are so preoccupied with this, that, and the other. We, we, we need to stop and hear from God and see him in all of his glory and get a vision of him again. Do you notice how the passage puts these things here? Do you notice how the movement goes? First, we must humble ourselves. Next, we must pray. Next, we must seek his face. Do you realize that only then comes turn from your wicked ways? Have you noticed the order? Why do you think turn from your wicked ways comes so low in this list? 
It would almost seem as though the first thing we would need to do is to turn from our wicked ways. No, God says the first thing I want you to do is to humble yourself, come down. Begin to pray. And not only pray, seek my face. That is a rather strong expression. Strive after. Go after me with all your heart. And I don't for one moment believe that this is out of order because I believe that we have come to an age and to a turn that it is only when we see God that we are going to see ourselves. And we can continue on in our smug way and we never quite realize how we are hurting God and grieving God until we see him in all of his glory, and then it's another story. <clears throat> it is heeding prayer. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to get into the word of God? Are you ready to get into his presence? Are you ready to dig deep? Are you ready to learn what his will is and how he wants us to live? And how we are missing some of the deep and real truths of God and what he wants us to do. Oh God, show me you so I can see myself. We need to pray with the psalmist. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Some of us feel very holy and very self-righteous and very with it. Oh God, search me. Help me to see you in all of your glory. Help me to see you in all of your loveliness. Help me, Lord. Some time ago I was praying. We have what is called an annual service report for ministers. At the end of every year, the ministers have to fill out this form, this questionnaire. Some of those questions are quite searching. Not long ago, I was praying, and, and God seemed to say so clearly, listen, Wingrove, listen, Taylor, These quest this questionnaire is not a stone to throw at your ministers. It's not a stone to throw at your ministers. You'd be amazed how many of us are very efficient stone throwers. Come, come, dear friends. God hasn't sent me in the world to stone people. This is the day of salvation. This is the day to rescue. This is the day to save. This is the day to weep over souls. This is the day to reach out and struggle that men should come to God. I tell you, we holiness people are great Ephesians. A church at Ephesus for sure. Ah yes, we dot all the I's, cross all the T's. We know who, who is not orthodox. Ah yes. But we have lost our first love. Everybody all right? It is humbling.
It is heeding prayer. But blessed be the name of God if we will take God's medicine, if we will go God's way, it will be hallowing prayer or healing prayer if you wish. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, I will care, I will repair. Praise the Lord. I will heal the land. I will heal the land. I will heal the land. Oh, how our land needs healing. Oh, how our homes need healing. Oh, how our churches need healing. Oh, how our communities need healing. How our world needs healing tonight. That's a revival we need. Thank God for a few days at IHC. Thank God for, uh, you know, the shouts of rejoicing. Thank God for all of that. But friends, what we need, the revival we need is far deeper than that. Your great America needs to be healed. My Barbados needs to be healed. The Caribbean needs to be healed. And really, I'm not just preaching that, you know, the whole world will become better and better and better. That's not it. But friends, I believe that we can turn the tide in our wicked world if we will obey God. <clears throat> Please turn to the other prayer. The second prayer is from the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. And it is found in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. It is too long to read. I wish it were not. In a revival in old Israel, they read the word from morning until noon, and the people were standing too all the time. Well, this is a little different day. But you're familiar with the prayer in Daniel chapter 10, are you not? Let's look at some elements of this prayer. First, let us label it. Let us name it. The first prayer in First Chronicles chapter 7 was the prayer to precipitate societal victory. Let me suggest to you that this prayer is prayer to penetrate spiritual mystery. The prayer that is necessary to penetrate into spiritual mystery. Now Daniel has a deep burden on his heart. And the prayer that penetrated spiritual mystery is wrestling prayer. Wrestling prayer. Of the kind of prayer you pray before you go to bed at night. Not the kind of short, passionless praying that we so often do. No, 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 no. That will not do. This is wrestling prayer. Look at verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning... Three full weeks, I ate no 
pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Three weeks of wrestling prayer. Wrestling prayer. Do we know anything about that kind of prayer, friends? Did I hear you speak? Do we know anything about that kind of prayer? And I want to confess to you that when I come to this second prayer, I'm a bit out of depth. I'm a bit out of depth. Sometimes I have found myself bordering on the shorelines. But I haven't always known what is in the deep darkness which I cannot see. And I must confess to you that I have tried to tread very carefully. I don't want to become a fanatic, you know. I don't want to go off on the deep end, you know. Maybe we just have to go off on the deep end one of these days. Daniel did. It is wrestling prayer. It is agonizing with forces that you hardly know anything about. Situations that you cannot interpret. But oh, the burden is there. You're wrestling. Your heart cannot be at peace. Your heart cannot be at ease. You can't pray the kind of praying some people pray. This is another world of prayer that we are entering into. We so love the pleasant things. Margin calls it the things of desire. We so love them. Daniel said, I put away all of the things of desire. Fasting, agonizing, alone with God, struggling, wrestling, interceding. Over in the New Testament, Paul uses something of the same language. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. My dear brothers and sisters, do we know anything about that prayer? Do we know anything about that prayer? It is wrestling prayer. It is not only wrestling prayer, it is weakening prayer. Daniel prayed. And as you notice in verse 6, that in his wrestling prayer, he saw a vision. The Lord Jesus Christ, evidently, in verse 6. He says, I was alone. I alone saw the vision. The men that were with me saw not the vision, verse 7. But a great quaking fell upon them, almost reminds you of Saul's experience on the road to Damascus. And hear me, friends, a vision of the Christ can flatten us, you know. A vision of the awful Christ in all of the awfulness of his holiness and his radiance can flatten us, friends. 
And some of us don't know anything about that kind of flattening. Daniel says in verse 8, I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I restrained no strength. Oh, what dangerous depths Daniel is going into here. He's been doing wrestling prayer and now he knows something about weakening prayer. Verse 10 talks about, in verse 9, his falling on the, on the ground, actually falling into sleep, and the hand touched him and, and set him on his knees, moved him on his knees. So here he is on his knees, and his palms are on the ground. Can you see that position that Daniel is in? And verse 16, in fact, verse 15, when he spoke to me such words, I set my face to the ground and I became dumb. And verse 16 again repeats, there was no strength left in me. Brothers and sisters, do we know anything about that kind of prayer? Are you all right? Are you still out there? You'd like to shout a little bit, wouldn't you? I'd like to shout too. But we are serious, aren't we? I mean, we are serious, aren't we? Now, I'll be honest with you, some of us aren't serious. We talk revival, but whether we are prepared to pay the pr price for revival is an entirely different story. I just want to confess to you that I'm out of my depths at this moment. Wrestling prayer, weakening prayer. But blessed be the name of God if somehow we can penetrate on and on into the mystery. And you know what mystery is. It is that which we do not know and cannot understand with our own minds. And God himself must teach us. If we will go on, thanks be unto God, that prayer will become what I may call withstanding prayer. Withstanding prayer. In all of its weakness, it becomes strength. And Daniel was told about all the agony of his prayer. Verse 12, we know it so well. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Isn't that tremendously comforting? That the moment we pray, God hears our words from the first time we pray. Have you been praying and it seems that there is no God anywhere? Come on now, you know. Oh yes, we know that. We pray and God seems nowhere. Don't go by your feelings at that point. From the very first day you open your mouth, in fact, even before we call, he has heard. Hallelujah. Let's believe that, my friends. Yes, Daniel, I heard from the first day. God help us to remember that. But, says he in verse 13, 
the prince of the kingdom of Persia, withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And now I am come. Friends, do we realize what's going on in the spirit world? Do we realize that all of the horrors of our world are not just of human making? Do we realize that all the horrors of the world do not really lie on the Ayatollah? Do we realize, my friends, it isn't Arafat? And call whatever name you will. Do you realize that it isn't your child and it isn't the drug pusher down the street, but behind all of this horrible activity, that there is activity in the spirit world, evil forces battling and the war is on and it is raging. The problem is that most of us don't want to join the army. We like the uniform and we like the bands and we like the parade. But when it comes to the blood and the gore and the mud and the mire and the wrestle and the struggle, most of us are absolutely foreigners to that. I just want to suggest to you and to suggest to myself that the revival we need will demand the prayer that penetrates into spiritual mystery. Let's look at the third prayer. It comes from the New Testament. Aren't you glad to get out of the Old Testament a while? It comes from the New Testament, and it is St. Luke's Gospel, and it is chapter 9. It is chapter 9. And perhaps you wouldn't identify this prayer as readily with revival because of who is involved, but, but, but look with me. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, we have the story of the Lord Jesus Christ beginning in verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these, these sayings, he took Peter, James, and John and went up into a mountain to pray. The eternal Son of God withdrawing, getting up into a mountain, getting alone with God to pray. Now most of the other Gospels don't quite give you this beautiful vision that Luke is giving us. For we know all about going up into the mount to be transfigured. But what is beautiful here is that Luke breaks down for us the fact that he went up there to pray. That's why he went in the first place, to pray. Let me suggest to you that we label this prayer as the first one was the prayer to precipitate societal victory and the second was the prayer to penetrate into spiritual mystery. This prayer will be the prayer to prevail through signal glory. A prayer to prevail through signal glory. Three things about this prayer. It is travailing. It is travailing. He went up into a mountain to pray. 
And the next word is, as he prayed. As he prayed. He was travailing. The second thing about this prayer is, it is not only travailing, but it is transfiguring. As he prayed, verse 29, the fashion of his countenance was altered. As he prayed, that happened. The Son of God, who came from the glory, but now he has come into this world. He's man, and he's showing us the way. He goes up into the mountain. He's travailing. He's praying. He's holding on before his Father, and on his knees, and on his faces. And Jesus prays as nobody else can praise. You know that. Pray, you know that. But as he prays, he is transfigured. And you know the story? They saw his face as it were the sun, as an angel. His clothes were glistening. There was glory all around. Praise the Lord. With that glory, he came down from the mountain, and there in the valley, here was this man with his demon-possessed boy, torn, and his disciples couldn't do anything to cast him out. A deadlock situation was on. And Jesus comes all radiant with the glory from his father. And you know the story. He spoke a word of denunciation to the evil spirit, and he spoke a word of deliverance. And the young man was set free. Have you ever prayed until you were transfigured? Come on, somebody. You know. Have you ever prayed until you have been transfigured? Yes, you have. Don't be so afraid. Situations, problems, anguish, but somehow you waited on God until you were not just you, you were you plus the glory of God, and you could deal with that situation that was so threatening. I've had a couple of them in my life, perhaps the most outstanding, and some of you may have heard this before. I was speaking for a little church here in your country while I was studying at God's Bible School and went for a weekend meeting, and it was the strangest place to preach. It seems that after the first night of trying to preach, I was, getting, I was being involved in a nervous breakdown. That's how I felt. I felt totally shattered, as though my nerves were going to pieces, and I couldn't understand it. And I said, after the weekend was over, God, I'll never go come back to this place again. We say a lot of big words that we have to swallow, you know. And they invited me back, and again, of course, you had to go. How are you going to run away? You're a soldier. The same thing happened. It seemed as though I was being shattered in body. My nerves were being torn. Oh, I said, God, this surely is the last time, but it wasn't. A third occasion, they asked me to come back, and it was now a longer, protracted meeting. The first night, same experience. Second night, the same experience. And, you know, I said, dear God, if you do not do something, I can't stay in this place. 
tossed and got awake early in the morning and prayed. It seems as though the room was terribly dark, darker than the night. And heaven was brass and prayed on into the early morning until the sun rose. But there was still darkness and heaviness. Prayed on until breakfast, nothing moving. Went to the head of the stairs, said to my host and hostess, I'm sorry I won't be down for breakfast this morning. Prayed on into the mid-morning, nothing moving. Prayed on into noontime, and it was time for the noon meal. I went to the head of the stairs and said to my host and hostess, I'm sorry, I won't be down for dinner. Prayed on into the afternoon, and friends, somewhere around two or three o'clock, Jesus came into that room. You say, are you sure? Yes, I'm very, very sure. Jesus came into that room. And in fact, I was transfigured. I was not the nervous wreck. Something happened. The glory came. Praise the Lord. I'm going to shorten the story. Out of that meeting, that night we had a break at the altar. In fact, a blizzard blew thereafter. And only a few of the hardy young people came out that night. But there was a break at the altar for the first time. And thereafter, every single night, there were souls seeking the Lord. And this very night, as we sit here, there are people out on the mission field from that revival. Just about three years ago, one of the young ladies involved in that revival drove several miles when she heard I was speaking in a certain place and we talked about God's great visitation and what he did in the hearts of men and women. What happened? There was prayer that prevailed through signal glory. I didn't give you the name, did I? The prayer that prevailed through signal glory. And my friends, our world is so tied up by all kinds of satanic forces that it's going to take more than just little personal victory. We need the transfiguring glory of God upon our lives. I need it. You need it. We all need it. That's the revival we need. We need a revival to precipitate societal victory. Amen. Come on, friends. We do. We do. It's overdue. We need the kind of revival that will penetrate, the kind of prayer and revival that will penetrate into spiritual mystery. And all that's going on out there in that world that we don't know anything about. Wrestling prayer, weakening prayer, but withstanding prayer. Somebody needs to stand up for God, stand against the forces of darkness. By God's grace, we need that kind of prayer that will send revival, that will prevail through the signal glory of God. The revival we need. Do we need it? Willing to pay the price for it?
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.